to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll finish the chapter today. The study that I've simply entitled Order and Worship. And the reason that I've done that is because I think that sometimes two extremes happen. One is that we kind of just throw caution to the wind and, you know, whatever happens, happens, man. And consequently, the Lord isn't glorified in that type of a service. And then the other is, and I think it's equally dangerous, by the way, is that we get stoic and we get very formatted and we lose joy and all of a sudden church becomes something like an obligation. Our worship becomes something that's very dry and very boring and no longer really brings excitement into the body of Christ. And so what I see in Scripture, and specifically as we finish this chapter, is that God has a very, very, very wonderful plan for us as we gather together corporately to worship the Lord, and it includes tremendous diversity. But that diversity should be governed by the Holy Spirit. That there should be not chaos, but order, and that in that order there's going to be a tremendous blessing that awaits us all. And so this morning uh, we're going to see and finish up using those spiritual gifts, but using them in the context of church, and then at the same time, I think how the Lord really wants us to, to look uh, how we ourselves, individually, every last one of us, if you came here this morning to simply be worshipped too, you're missing what God has for you. Because you're here today to be a worshiper, not just a worshipee. Amen? It's all about really us and our worship of the Lord. And that should be very individual for each of us. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning and for your blessings and for your goodness. And God, we just ask that you'd come and inhabit this place. We thank you for the gift of praise and the gift of worship. We thank you for those saints and servants throughout this facility that are ministering right now so that we can be sitting here. We thank you for this warm building. We thank you for the coffee. Lord, we thank you for the sound system. We, we're just so grateful, God, all these component parts and pieces that you have assembled, that allow us to come and be blessed as we worship you, as we study your word. Inhabit this place this morning. Bless each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now Paul continues as we finish up chapter 14. How is it then, brethren, that whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm and has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. And so he begins this second half of the chapter making a very clear and a very concise statement. He says, who do you think orchestrates all these things that come together that we call church? When we talk about a worship service, that's what we're doing here. There's a lot of different things that go on in a worship service. We read Psalms this morning. We're doing exactly this. We sang this morning. We're doing exactly this. I am speaking to you the word of God, and as I shared with you last time, that is a form of the gift of prophecy. I'm conveying to you truth that God has spoken. You're, you're having, if you have children, they're being ministered to right now. If you're gathered together in one of our home studies, there's a part of this fellowship that goes there that's an individual uh, time that you can get to know one another. All kinds of things that church is. Church is not a building. It is an organism, and it is supposed to be very alive. 
And it should have a very healthy diversity. There should be time for us to sing the psalms, if you will. There should be time for us to do those old faithful hymns. We, we do that occasionally. There's times this morning when things are a little more upbeat. There are times when the word ministers to us in a very a stoic way. There's times when the word, because God must laugh when he sees us. Amen. There are times when, when worship can be humorous. There are times when we get together and we're being confronted with our own selves. There are times that as we gather together, all manner of things are being accomplished and it's being orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. God's at work in the church doing what he wants to do. And so what we see in the remainder of this chapter is how God, in his marvelous plan, grabs all these very diverse parts and puts them into one place and causes something wonderful called a worship service to happen. I want to set the stage for you just a little bit in this. Remember that at the point in time when these words were written, there was no such thing as a person like myself who has spent a good chunk of his life, almost half, in full-time ministry, who has spent countless, I don't even know how many thousands of hours, studying God's Word and making sure that I'm accurate. I have all kinds of books and computer tools and all those things. I am, in that sense, a professional pastor. And the reason I'm drawing attention to that is to draw the contrast to what existed then. When these words were written, there was no such thing as a professional pastor. Nobody went to seminary. Nobody went to Bible college. Nobody even owned a Bible. They didn't have them. They weren't sitting there with a Bible out in their laps being, okay, well, he read, no, he read that incorrectly. Nobody could do that. And so church was very different then. And because nobody was able to do what I do today, chiefly, which is to to be able to orchestrate these things as the Spirit speaks to a person, there were a lot of people engaged in the very act of the worship service. So rather than a senior pastor that delivered the message, there might be five or six people that gave part of the message, and the Holy Spirit orchestrated those five or six parts, or eight parts, or ten parts. There might have been one person, whereas we happen to have a sound system and microphones and all kinds of instruments and all those things. Very few people even had access to those things, so maybe someone with a voice would sing a psalm. And there wasn't a worship leader who was a full-time, uh, was full-time engaged in that endeavor. It may just be somebody who happened to have a nice voice. And so that person would sing. There would be another person who would have the gift of hospitality, much like we have hospitality people in the church today. And so those things were orchestrated in a general sense instead of through the Holy Spirit to a person and out, actually individually to those people. So when they gathered together in a home, all of these people would come together. You can imagine if each one of them were not hearing from the Holy Spirit, what would happen? Amen? I can tell you this, having been in the ministry a long time. Put 150 people in one place, you get 160 opinions. Because some people aren't satisfied with just one, they'll have two or three, okay? You, you cannot simply rely on people to come together and everything to be okay. And in this case, the unifying uh, part of this worship service was then and is today, though slightly differently implemented, the Holy Spirit speaking to people. And so that's the picture here. 
Let me read to you from the New Living Translation, verse 26. And it says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize what I'm saying. When you meet, one will sing. Another will teach. Another tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in an unknown language, while another will interpret what's said. But everything that is done must be useful to all and build them up. That's why committees very often are death to a worship service. Because when you get a bunch of people together and you let them throw around ideas, and again, I'm not totally against those types of things, but if we were to do that every Sunday in our environment, in, in our Western culture, nothing would ever happen. We'd all, well, you know, I think we should do two songs, and I think we should do five songs. I don't like electric guitar. I like concert piano, and so on and so forth. And you can see how it would become very chaotic. So the whole point of this message is, is that as God orchestrates, there is some unity in that diversity that God brings through the power of the Holy Spirit in orchestrating a worship service. So in our case, one person, that person being me, has been spending time before the Lord, praying about reading the Word, going over the Word, spending time before the Lord, saying, God, what do you want to speak to your people? And that is the result of what's here in front of me in the notes that I rarely look at. And if you want to know why I rarely look at them, is because they're only there as I'm studying for something to, for me to kind of bounce those things off of the Holy Spirit and say, do you want that? If you look at them after I get done with them, you would not believe how much writing is in the margin of my notes that I've already typed out. It's because God's orchestrating those things. And it's the same throughout all the things that we do. People come to church for lots of different reasons. Some people come for worship specifically. I've had people tell me, well, I come to this church because I love the worship. I've had people tell me I love to come because of the, the way you present the word of God. I've had people tell me they're here because they love the nursery. I've had people tell me, well, I come because the coffee's free. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm here and free coffee and cookies. Can't get that anywhere else. Some people come because I actually spend time in counsel with people. Some people come because of the way that we handle our our activities here in town and, and are invested in this community. There are lots of different reasons why people come to church. And frankly, it's up to the Holy Spirit to orchestrate those things. Because if I even attempted to do that in and of my own flesh, it'd be a mess. It would really, really seriously BMS. Some people come because I, you know, every once in a while I'm kind of goofy. I mean, people do that. Some people are here because they've got a problem going on in their life and they believe that maybe God will speak to them. Some people have come because they're hurting. There's something that's going on in their life and they really are waiting for God to touch them. Only the Holy Spirit could take all of those diverse parts and bring them to one place and make something good out of it. That's why we have church. And that's why you are all essential parts to what God does here. Because I can't do every counseling appointment. I can't sit there and pray with absolutely everybody. If you've ever noticed after service, normally I end up praying with at least one or two people. If you were to all wait for me to pray with you, we'd be here for two days. 
And so what happens is, is it, I don't mean to sound that this is funny as in it's humorous. I mean, it's funny from my perspective. Sometimes I'll be praying with somebody and somebody else is waiting in the wings and another person, and after a while they just give up. You can see they throw their hands in the air and they walk out. And I'm like, there are so many people here who can pray. Take the opportunity to use the gift that God's given you because praying is simply communicating to the Lord. It's asking of God for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in this situation. And so we are part of the church together. I am not the church. This building is not the church. The corporation that's Calvary Chapel of Running Springs Incorporated, a 501c3 corporation, is not the church, okay? That's the legal entity that we are. But it's not the church. You are the church, And we are here together to accomplish God's purposes. And so every worshiper ought to contribute something. And you guys do that. If you come here and you're a faithful giver to this ministry, that is worship unto the Lord. That's being part of the ministry here. If you come here and and you greet people in the love of the Lord, you're a part of the ministry that's here. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit, for God is love. Amen? And so as you love on people, as you greet them, as you're communicating the the truth of God's word in simple ways, you're actually doing the work of the ministry. Notice the reason that's here at the end of this verse, so that the body would be built up. Can you imagine if everybody here were waiting for me to do something spectacular in their life? It'd be hideous. My backlog would be like years. I've got to get over there. I've got to do this. It's because church is you. Church is us. It's a corporate and very collective we that is church. The reason I know this is true is if you look back through the history of really how worship began, and and you have to go back to the Old Testament to get the right view. You really do. Uh, Worship, first and foremost, is an encounter with the living God. Amen? That's that's what it is. We've come, hopefully... I I thank you for those of you who have graciously built me up and said, I just so appreciate the way you communicate God's word. But we've come here to meet with God, not with Jeff. And if all I do is, is, you know, communicate quippy little sayings to you, you're not going to grow much. And so prayerfully, the encounter is with God. And if it's done in a way that's, that's good and he uses me as a tool, I'm just God's tool. I'm not God. And I don't want to be. And so Exodus chapter 3 says, "Don't you know, here's Moses meeting with God. He says, don't even approach this ground because this ground is holy. Take your sandals off. Acknowledge who I am. So when we come, we're acknowledging who God is, not just simply that Pastor Jeff has studied. We've come to meet with God. A second thing. Uh, worship is, is, is really only going to be real when you participate. Do you get that? It's only going to be real when you participate. In Leviticus chapter 7, the Lord gave instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai and commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings and come and meet with God. He didn't command Moses to go do it for them. He said, you guys come meet with God. So it's you. You need to come and have an encounter with God. And that means coming with your Bible. That means coming prepared. That means praying, not just for for me, which you need to do, by the way. Please, in Jesus' name, pray for your pastor. 
No, I mean that very sincerely and genuinely. Please pray for me because I'm like you. I get attacked. Things happen in my life. Stuff goes on. I need that prayer covering myself so that I'm hearing from God. And so, but you need to do that for you. Because God wants to speak to you here. He doesn't want me to just speak to you. He wants to speak to you himself. He he wants you to hear from him. Some little tidbit. That's why when people come and they'll go, well, you know, it's like you were in our house last night and you heard what was going on and, you know, you had these things. It's like you just spoke right. No, that was God. You had an encounter with God. God spoke to you. That was going on in your life. I don't have a clue about I don't have little hidden cameras in all of your houses. I don't have a spy network or anything like that. I have no intel that, you know, is gathered every week. Well, bring those things to me so I can bring them out in a sermon illustration. It's not that at all. That's the true and the living God exposing to me by the Holy Spirit the things that need to be said to you so he can talk to you. That's what it is. He wants to talk to you. He has a word for you. You have to be engaged in it. True worship is a direct response to you worshiping God. There in Numbers chapter 28, the Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the people and present themselves before me that there might be fire on the altar. That there would be something that blazes within you. That it wouldn't be words. It wouldn't that you just read the PowerPoint. It's supposed to come from here, not here. It, it comes from the heart, not just the lips. Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah said, The people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, you can come to church. That's why I've shared with you before. You can come to church and not be saved. You can hang out in this building all day, every day, and you can do everything you can possibly find your hands, your hands could find to do, and you could spend all your time and effort and endeavor, but if your heart's not drawn near to God, you're going to miss the whole purpose of even being here. You're to have an encounter with the living God. That's what this first verse tells us. Worship and music go hand in hand. I would remind you that Psalm 81, 1 Chronicles 25, there's a couple of passages there where the musical instruments of the day, every one of them that we historically know about were used in worship. Every one of them, the heart, the lute, the lyre, the tambourine. You see this vibrant picture of worship. Well, we now happen to have electric guitars and acoustic guitars and keyboards and drums and all those kind of things. It's a reason that we use that diversity in worship. There's a time for simple acoustic guitar. There's a time for maybe a piano. So there's all those kinds of things. That's parts of worship that draw us near to the Lord. Worship should be something that, that draws people into the, into the heart of God. I want you to be near to God's heart. Not just remember whatever it is that I said. And so the concept here is that as worshipers, we draw near to the Lord. So he goes on, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, as I've set the stage, you understand why he makes that statement. 
because they were using lay pastors. There were all kinds of people that came in. Everybody was looking to be a part of the worship service. They wanted to draw near to the Lord. They wanted to have an encounter with the true and the living God. And if they weren't hearing from the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden everybody at once stood up and started to prophesy, and then you got the prophesying crowd over here and the tongues crowd over here, and then you have the guys that could actually sing here, and all of a sudden everybody's standing up doing their own thing thing, remember what we just saw, how is everybody going to be built up? How is everyone going to draw near to the Lord? How are you going to get close to God? It's going to be utter chaos and nobody is going to get closer to the Lord. So he says, make sure that there's some order in these things. I want you to notice a single word there in verse 27, and it's a correct translation from the original language of the Greek. It says, if, as in, it's a possibility, not a certainty. If there is someone in the church who has the gift of tongues and there is an interpreter, and so it flatly denies the the thing that is often spread about in the Pentecostal movement, that the gift of tongues is an evidence that you're saved. It says if. It doesn't say everybody does. It says if. And so, again, de-emphasizing that specific gift. It basically is saying that those things that we look at in our world today that go on, I don't believe are biblical. So when someone comes to me and says, well, you know, we haven't had an episode of holy laughter in the church. Uh, you know, how come you don't pronounce the Toronto blessing or the Brownsville blessing? Or how come we don't do this? Or how come there's no dancing in our church? Um, because none of us have any rhythm and we can't dance. I don't know. I... I'm not sure I understand all of that, but I know this, that we want to minister to the body of believers that God has brought to this church. And the best way to do that is to not overemphasize anything, but to rather settle into something that in a very wonderful way ministers to the largest and broadest percentage of the people that are gathered here. That's who we are. It wouldn't do me a whole lot of good to speak in Spanish. There's two or three of you in here that that can speak in Spanish. It wouldn't do me any good for me to all of a sudden break out in in a prayer language as I'm communicating to the Lord. You guys would get nothing out of it. Nothing would be understood. And quite frankly, even if there were someone to interpret those things, and all of a sudden it happened, there would be a vast majority of you who would be going, oh, I'm not quite getting anything out of that. So we stick to the things that minister to the broadest part of the church. So we stick to the truth of God's word. We worship the Lord corporately. We minister to children. We do those things which we know hit the middle. And we can be assured that they're going to bear some fruit. You know, it it is, and I don't want to belabor this, but I think that that the picture comes in view very clearly when you actually look at some of these things. You've probably watched and seen. And it is a source of mockery to God when you turn on the National Geographic channel and there's some dude in a suit sweating like nobody's business screaming at the top of his lungs at 15 people because they're the only ones dumb enough to be in the service. And then he's over there and he grabs a rattlesnake out of a pit and says, if you got enough faith, you can handle these serpents too. That has nothing to do with God. It is a show. 
not exhibiting spirituality in any way, shape, or form. It's simply an act. It's a prop. It'd be no different than if all every Sunday morning you guys came in here and we just showed a video of, you know, some kind of craziness that goes on in the world. It just it is not going to bring people closer to the Lord. And in fact, every person that's there that doesn't have enough nonsense going on in their head to go grab a rattlesnake out of that pit now thinks they don't have any faith. So those types of things, family of God, I don't believe build up the body of Christ. And they give the heathen cause to blaspheme God. People are sitting there watching that going, man, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I don't go to church. If I have to get up in the middle of an aisle and do some funky dance or be slain in the spirit and knocked down and somebody breathes on me and I fall backwards, if that's what has to happen in church, there are a lot of people that are afraid of that. And so again, we hit the middle ground. We do the things that ministers to a large part of the body of Christ. Uh, probably some of you saw the the article. There was a lady last week in Florida that was that was ticketed driving 109 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. You know what she said? The Holy Spirit told her to do it, and she was waving her arms out, saying, "Jesus loves you." Driving 109 miles an hour in a residential area that was 35 made the national news. How big a black eye do you think God gets from that kind of thing? Because there's a certain amount of people that believe that's exactly what Christians do. That's not of the Lord, because God's a God of order. He's not out of control. So the next time you're driving through town at 55 and you get a ticket, don't blame it on God. Okay? It's, it's you. You're being a knucklehead. God is a God of order, and God is a God of structure. It doesn't mean overly so. But he absolutely does believe that we should act appropriately given the situation. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. I I love this because it's really the Berean principle. That's why you guys, I encourage you to bring Bibles to church. I encourage you to make notes. I encourage you to check and see what I've said is true. I encourage you to be Bereans. I want you to hear what is said and to evaluate it. Don't ever simply go to church because somebody's got a shingle on their wall that says, I'm Dr. So-and-so, or, or I've spent you know countless years in Bible college. Don't do it. Be a Berean. Check the word and see if it is so. I encourage you to do that. I have nothing to fear. Because I do believe that I rightly divide the word of truth. I spend a tremendous amount of time doing that. And I endeavor to be very accurate and correct. And so check the word. And that's what's being said here. Listen to what's said. Evaluate it based on who God is and see if it is so. That's going to bring order. It's not going to bring chaos. And it doesn't mean that you question every little fine point of every sermon. I can't tell you how many times... I've had, you know, somebody will come up and they'll say, you know, well, you said this and I don't think it's that. You know what? I'm going to make an occasional mistake. I am human. I will mispronounce an occasional word. That that happens. The point is, is are you being ministered to by God? That's what we're endeavoring to do. And if all someone has done is come to church to try and find fault with the pastor, 
then they're here for the wrong reason. You need to kind of reevaluate why you're sitting here in the first place. Because if it's to figure out that I have faults, let me save you the trouble. I have faults. I got weaknesses. Not everything that I do is perfect. We want to believe that God is working. And so it shows here that, that God would have us uh, get a singular message, if you will. It goes on in verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker must stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now notice what it says next. Very, very, very important. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's the ability to have God speak something to you and for you then to be able to wait for the proper time and place to speak it. Let me share with you how bad this can get. Uh, this is part of my history of the camp directorship. We used to have some groups that would come to our facility. They were primarily Korean Presbyterian groups, but they were known as Tracedius, three days. And so they would come, and very often I would have to have a meeting with the leadership, and i go, here's some things that we don't do. Because they would take the entire facility, they would put aluminum foil on every window because they believed that if they were behind the aluminum foil that the demons couldn't see them. I'm kind of thinking they can go right through walls. So I'm just trying to set the stage here for you to give you an idea where this goes. So after getting through all of that, I'm kind of just like, okay, we want to give you another chance because I believe God is a God that is very gracious and very kind. Okay, it didn't go so good last time, but we're going to have you back. After about the third time, I'm on a Sunday. I go back to the camp. The camp is supposed to end at 12 noon. They have lunch, go home. At 4 o'clock, they're still in the chapel, and they are dancing, screaming at the top of their lungs. They're going absolutely berserk in there. And I finally pulled one of the assisting pastors over, and I said, this has to end. It has to end now. We have another group coming in tomorrow morning. You have got to go. You, you can't stay any longer. Your contract is very clear. Oh, well, brother, the Holy Spirit's moving. I said, yeah, the Holy Spirit's moving in me. And he told me, you're done. <laughs> it gets better. Doesn't receive that message. I quote to him this verse that the spirit should be in control of the prophets and the prophets should be able to control themselves. This is another way to translate the end of this verse. So I say, you have to go. This is not an option. Do you know who's speaking right now? So he tells me, this is the head of all of this particular group of people. I mean, this is the big guy. I didn't even notice it. He had come that day in a limo. He showed up. He was wearing a suit. My whole house didn't cost what his suit does. Okay, I mean, it was one of those things, diamond rings on every finger, the whole shooting works. And I finally said, I don't care who he is. I don't care if he's the Pope. Don't care if he's the President of the United States. My God's a God of order. We need to get this facility turned over. So I said, again, you have to end this now. So I finally go up to the sound booth. I say, cut them. Turn it off. They're done. So we turn off the mics. They keep going. I finally walk up and I say, this service is now over and you need to leave the building. So they're livid by this time. So in order to get through the rest of the afternoon, I'm saying, I'm sorry, but we have a retreat coming in. I have my entire staff waiting and have been waiting now for four hours to turn this facility over. This is not of the Holy Spirit. and They're arguing with me. So 
walk out of the building. They say, okay, okay, we'll, we'll leave, you know, so you start packing up. An hour later, I go down to the rec hall. They have erected a cross. They have a kid tied to that cross, and they are beating with a wiffle bat the demons out of him. At that point in time, I said, the next person you're going to see is a sheriff's officer. Pack up. You are done. Get off this property right now. Now, I say all of that to say this. Notice what it says. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. If you are a man of God, a woman of God, you are subject to self-control and the ability to say, you know what, I signed a contract. The ability to say, you know what, there are other people waiting for me. The ability to say, this is a little bit ridiculous. We are putting other people out and we are being unloving and we certainly don't need to beat the demons out of anybody with a wiffle bat. We need to recognize that a lot of things that look very churchy have nothing to do with God at all. And they are not the spirit moving. We could take every service and go two hours long. Okay? I can think a lot. Okay? It could be ugly. But I know that we have another service that's going to start. We need to end in that time frame that we've allotted. That's God actually at work. There's nothing wrong with us saying we're supposed to end at such and such a time with worship and such and such a time with the message because we have people waiting in children's ministry. It is unloving to keep those parents waiting, to keep those children waiting. Remember, the big, eel, the big deal is love. Is it loving? Can someone look at it and say, hey, that was the Lord? So we should be under control is the message from that verse. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, it goes on to say, as in all the other churches. Disorder is not of the Lord. Chaos is not of the Lord. Insanity is not of the Lord. If you have to force it, contrive it to happen, it's not of God. And just simply because it's longer and louder doesn't necessarily make it of the Lord. God is a God of structure and a God of order. He's placed order and rules. He actually designed the entire universe with immense finite order. You operate under the laws of physics. When you got in here, that, that seven and a half pounds that gravitational force pushes on you keeps you on this planet. Allows you to continue to be a human being instead of a blob of jello. God's a God of order. There's order throughout our existence. And we need to recognize that in church, there's also order. Very, very often, uh, the resulting disorder actually keeps people from really hearing the voice of God. I mean, can you imagine if in here, now we all know, and I've already told you, you're all involved, amen? But can you imagine if each one of you decided you wanted to do a different message this morning? All of a sudden you stand up and, well, I got, a, I got a word from the Lord. And then over here we've got somebody singing in Psalms and somebody back there is prophesying. And up here we've got tongues. and It'd be crazy. That was exactly what was going on then in the church in Corinth. You know, Herschel was battling with Clopas and Clopas, he was less like than Archimedes. And they would all go back and forth. And he goes, guys, nobody's getting anything out of it. Let's make sure that the Lord is glorified in it, and he's going to be glorified when people can actually uh, receive something from the message. Okay, now for the last little bit here. Heresy alert number 51. The next couple of verses have been fought over and battled over for centuries, if not millennia, with regard to the role of women in the church. Let me draw you back here to just just a couple of things to set the stage for what I'm about to say. All you male chauvinists, get ready to get whooped on. 
when you look at from chapter 12 to chapter 14, does any of it seem like it was about the role specifically of women in the church? The answer is no. And the reason that you want a pastor who can, as Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, rightly divide the truth, who is someone who is an approved workman, who studies to show himself such, is that it's real easy to take things out of context when you want to try and convey some idea that you yourself already believe, like women should be silent in church. That is not what is being communicated in this passage. It absolutely does not say that women cannot ever talk, cannot ever pray, cannot ever prophesy, cannot ever speak in tongues, cannot ever bring the word, cannot even share a message occasionally. What does it say? It says women should be silent in church meetings. People look at that in the English translation, and they go, see, every woman in church should just, you know, when you come in, get duct tape, put it right over their mouth. Idiotic. The whole subject here, and if you remember back to chapter 11 and verse 5, it's already said that women have the gift of prophecy in tongues and can pray in church. So it's not saying that women have to be silent. It is saying that in the context of the gift of tongues, they are in exactly the same place as men. This verse actually is an equalizer of the rights of women and the rights of men. That was a new thing in the world at that time. In the Greek culture, in the Jewish culture, women were not allowed to speak in public at all. And so because they had been set free by their relationship in Christ, and they could now actually talk to somebody in public, and because they could go to church and actually be engaged in the process of worship and be a part of the service, there was a natural propensity to say, man, I'm now free, and they wanted to talk too. Not instead of, but just like the men, because it was now acceptable in that culture in Christ. And so what this verse says is, women have exactly the same rights as men, and they need to be absolutely exercised exactly the same as men. So the ladies didn't get a free pass on being able to speak up in the service and interrupt it. They just simply needed to be silent the same way men needed to be silent with regard to the use of the gift of tongues. And that is all this passage says. It's not talking about women in general. It's not talking about women forever. It's not talking about women in church in that specific Vain, uh, it is simply saying that with regard to what we just talked about, because you ladies can now pray, you can prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you need to listen and hear from the Spirit so that now you're not interrupting the service because of this newfound freedom you have in Christ. goes on to say, it is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. In other words, he's drawing our attention back to the original headship that is the issue that Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 5. It's simply saying, you have a husband, that should be the first place that you talk about questions. Otherwise, what happens in church is now, maybe you have a husband who's not saved, maybe you have a husband who's not well-versed in the Scriptures, and so now it becomes Q&A in church. And so the ladies, because they're now free in Christ, they're saying, well, you know, what about this and what about that? All it's saying is, order is in order. It's not saying you can't speak. It never has, never did. And if you took that view, you would have to flatly deny the plain teaching of chapter 11, verse 5. 
where it says that women can. Be careful, because sometimes we take the English translation and pull it out of its context and pull it out of the plain meaning of what now has become three full chapters, and we make it say something it doesn't say. Notice, if they have questions to ask, we're actually told why this situation exists. Because it was turning into Q&A. And there are times when people do that. I've had people raise their hand in church. It's like, they, like they're in class. It's like, can I, wait, I'd like, we can do that later. Call me at my office. That's perfectly okay. Because, yeah, Steph's got one back there. He's, he's going for it. He's raising his hand. He wants to know what in the world it is I just said. I, could you repeat that? We'd be here for days if I opened it up to question and answer every Sunday. We couldn't do it. It wouldn't accomplish the main goal. It wouldn't, it wouldn't bring most of us into that understanding of God's word in a clearer way. Let them ask their husbands at home. That's just simply restating God's purpose for marriage, isn't it? That's all it is. It's saying, you know what? That's how God's established marriage. And so ask your husband at home. If he can't answer it, by all means, go ask your pastor. Go talk to an elder. Do whatever you need to do to get that answer. Go look it up for yourself. Speak. For it's improper for women to speak in church meetings in that context and that context alone. Be careful. Otherwise, you make this passage say something it does not say. Women are not discouraged from speaking in church. It, it, frankly, guys, right now, it is principally women who are working in our children's ministry. They're speaking all the time here in church, but it's decently and in order. There are times when the ladies are gathered together here and there's a message, and it's only the ladies. We do the same thing with just men. There are times I'm looking for lady. There, there are some very gifted ladies in ministry that I would love to have come share with you, and we look for those opportunities to do that. It's okay. We need to get out of this, this mindset that there's a difference between men and women with regard to, to this specific thing of being silent in church. It's not found in Scripture. It's found in the mindset of a few people, and they have passed that on habitually through multiple generations, and it's wrong, and we're ending it. Period. Greek word in, in verse four, or in chapter 14, verse 30, is exactly the same uh, that's used multiple times for simply keeping things decently and in order. Verse 36. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people to whom it's reached? You see, he draws us back to the understanding that I believe is the main point here. It's, a, it's an encounter with God. I didn't invent the Bible. I'm not the first person to ever teach on this passage publicly. I'm not the first person to ever write on this. I'm not the first person to compile notes on this. I didn't receive it in any different fashion than it was spoken to others previously. The bottom line is, we've gathered together for a common purpose to be built up in the Lord. And I need to recognize, we need to recognize, that God has a message for you. And prayerfully, that is why we're here. And if we do those things that way, if we really look at the, this as an opportunity for us to each grow in Christ, then we come expectant. Amen? I hope you come to church expectant. God, speak to me. Tell me something I didn't know yesterday. 
Help me grow in some way that I, that I need growth in. That's what church is for. It's not just something we do. It's something that we are. It's not something that we go to. It's something that we are a part of. Verse 37, for if anyone who claims to be a prophet or has spiritual powers must first acknowledge that I'm writing to you that this is a command of the Lord and anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. You know why he says that? Because it just adds credence to what we've just talked about. God only has one message. It's the message of the gospel. And he communicates that message through people who prayerfully have heard from the Lord. So if there's disagreement all over the, over the place, who do you think the disagreement came from? It's not God. That's why when somebody says, well, in my translation, in your translation, if it disagrees with God, then your translation's wrong. If you have a commentary and says, well, you know, Warren Worsby said this, or, you know, Henry said this, or... Kyle and Delech said that. You, know, you look at all these guys, and again, wonderful men of God who studied extensively and they've written, they're still not God. And their notes aren't necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. There could very well be error in there. And so our default position as the church is what God said we do. What God said we believe. What God has said is how we act. And if we default to that position, then we end this way. So, dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid the speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done decently and in order. That way the Holy Spirit maintains control of the church service and can input into our lives, and we're not going to have chaos. We're not going to get mixed messages. We're not going to have one translation that leads people to believe one way and another that believes when God wrote his word and he authored it by the Holy Spirit and men of old wrote it down, he had something he was trying to communicate to us. Our only goal is to find out what that is. And as we do that, we grow. And that's my goal. I want to help you grow if I can. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. And I again thank you for this church and for these blessed saints who come so faithfully and, and hear the word of the Lord. We pray that we would grow from it. God, we pray that those old ways that aren't of you would be put down. We pray that the new ways that are of you would be built up. We ask that you would take your word and make it alive to us, that you'd change the things in us that need to be changed, that you'd mold us and shape us so that each day uh, we grow into just a little bit better uh, picture of the character of Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gifts that you've distributed in this church and pray that you'd cause them to grow and cause us to grow right along with it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.